Hi, and welcome to Clerkship Ready Pediatrics, a podcast aimed at helping you excel during your clinical clerkship in pediatrics. I am Dr. Joanna Parker-Belinke, and I'm an assistant professor of pediatrics, clinical neonatologist at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and director of the Well Baby Nursery at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Today, we will be reviewing what you need to know before your first day caring for newborns in the Well Baby Nursery or the NICU about the screening and management for neonatal hypoglycemia. Let's start with what hypoglycemia is. It refers to having low glucose levels in your blood. How low? That's a great question. We aren't completely sure because this is a hard thing to study. What we do know is that prolonged low blood glucose levels can cause something called hypoglycemic encephalopathy. But how low glucose gets and for how long, we can't really say. No one can test for that in humans when you already know it's such a bad thing for the brain. But we think less than 40 milligrams per deciliter qualify as hypoglycemia or too low in newborn babies in their first day of life. Some levels might be reported as lower in some of the literature, but I would say most hospitals probably use that 40 as a rule of thumb. And then those levels should rise every subsequent day with levels of less than 60 milligrams per deciliter fitting the definition of hypoglycemia on day of life two to three. And why do we care if babies have low blood glucose levels? Because glucose is the main fuel for the human body and the brain. And it's worth saying again, sustained levels of low glucose are bad for babies' brains. Sustained levels of low glucose are bad for babies' brains. Even for adults, hypoglycemia can be uncomfortable. And adults will describe feeling nervous, sweating, being confused or irritable, having a fast heartbeat, or being shaky. Babies can't really tell us any of those symptoms, but luckily for the adults listening to this podcast, you can get glucose in three different ways. By eating it, by breaking down fats or muscle, or by breaking down scores or by breaking down stores of glycogen in your liver. Infants not only can't communicate their symptoms, they also don't have the same amount of fat, muscle, or stores of glycogen to help make them to help them. They also don't have the same amount of fat, muscle, or stores of glycogen to help them make glucose or fuel their body. So they're relying on eating it. That's why in pediatrics, we recommend at minimum that infants eat every two to four hours. We want to keep their energy or glucose levels up. And why might a baby drop their glucose levels when they are first born? Well, we talked about how they don't have stores of glucose to draw on, but there's a little more physiology at play. When a baby is in utero, you can think of the placenta as being this constant glucose source for the baby that sends sugar right into their bloodstream. So it's like having a constant glucose infusion rate for the baby. We'll talk more about glucose infusion rates or GIRs later. So then the baby is born, the cord gets cut, and the glucose infusion is just cut off. So the baby's body has to quickly figure out how to calibrate its hormones, and the main hormone that regulates the body's glucose level is insulin. So when a babies are first born, their secretion of insulin is not tightly linked to serum glucose levels. And it's believed that inappropriate secretion of insulin can lead to instances of hypoglycemia in neonates. When their glucose levels are low, they just can't turn their insulin secretion down, making their glucose levels drop even lower. Plus, delivery is a physically stressful time, both for the mother and the baby, and stress can precipitate hyperinsulinism too. 
double whammy for the baby. So while every baby might be at risk for having lower glucose levels at delivery, we don't check every baby. Only the babies who are showing potential symptoms of hypoglycemia or are at highest risk for having low glucose levels. So again, infants can't tell us, but what are the signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia? It's hard to tell. (laughs) Infants who are jittery tend to get blood glucose levels checked. And a jittery infant is one who has shaking or tremulous movements over their extremities when they are unwrapped, startled, and even sometimes at rest. However, remember that infants are not fully myelinated, meaning that their nervous systems are immature and their central and peripheral nervous systems are not yet connected like they are in adults. So the jitteriness that infants can have might be just a sign of immature neuronal connections and is kind of subjective to whoever's examining them. So many infants' symptoms are like that, where it's really hard to tell why they're having that specific symptom like jitteriness. And infants with hypoglycemia might also be hard to feed. So they could have poor muscle tone or poor neurologic tone. They could sometimes have breathing problems such as tachypnea or breathing fast or even increased work of breathing. They could be sleepier than normal or lethargic or, and this is the bad thing that we're really worried about, they could have seizures given the effects on the brain. So infants this sick will generally have other testing too, looking for things like sepsis that might land them in a neonatal ICU. So in terms of the babies at most risk, though, for having a clinically significant drop in their glucose levels, so these are the babies that you're definitely going to check that might not be symptomatic right away. Those include babies who are small for gestational age or less than 10th percentile on the growth curve adjusted for their weeks of gestation large for gestational age or greater than 90th percentile on that same growth curve, premature or less than 37 weeks gestational age, post-term or greater than 42 weeks gestational age, infants of diabetic mothers exposed to higher glucose levels or more swings in glucose levels in utero. And we could do a whole podcast together on infants of diabetic mothers. It's such an interesting pathophysiology there. But suffice to say, they are at risk for hypoglycemia. And then those who have low APGAR scores at delivery, infants with hypothermia, sepsis, or syndromes sometimes that might make their glucose levels low, like Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome. Additionally, if a mother's on certain medications, such as beta blockers or terbutaline, these medications can lower blood glucose levels in the infant. So most nurseries will screen infants with these risk factors. And remember to ask who in your unit gets screened and why and what levels, again, they use to define hypoglycemia with 40 milligrams per deciliter as a ballpark. But again, some units may use a little higher or lower numbers depending on their experiences or their protocols in their unit. So most nurseries and neonatal ICUs will have a defined protocol that nurses and doctors follow that gives an algorithm with like next steps for determining the glucose. So again, ask your resident or attending to have a copy of this to help guide you. Babies who show signs and symptoms that might be due to hypoglycemia or at risk for hypoglycemia will have their glucose levels checked shortly after birth and then have levels checked or monitored several times during their stay in the nursery. Most nurseries will check glucose levels right before a feed, and these are aptly called pre-feed glucose levels. So another thing that's important to know is we think of hypoglycemia in newborns as being transient, meaning it should only affect baby for a short period of time as their body transitions from support in utero to taking care of itself. 
Most infants who have transient hypoglycemia after birth will only have it to 48 to 72 hours. So it's good to reassure families that this is a temporary thing that we're looking for and screening for and that they don't need to monitor for it after they leave the hospital. It's not something their general pediatrician is going to check when they're going to their usual well-baby visits. But what happens when a baby has hypoglycemia? How do you treat it? And do those infants need to go to a neonatal ICU or a NICU? Is it safe to keep them in the nursery? Well, this depends. It depends on if their levels are really low. We're talking 20s or teens. Then then you might want to consider a NICU admission for something like IV dextrose administration. Very few nurseries would feel comfortable giving IV fluids and maintaining a peripheral IV outside of the NICU. But let's say you get a borderline value. It's like 35 when you first check. Are there other ways to treat? The answer is yes, and those ways don't always require an IV. So the first is to consider how you are feeding the baby. Feeding the baby is a treatment for hypoglycemia. So is the baby breastfed? Remember, there isn't much breast milk a mother generally produces early in an infant's life. A full milk supply can take three to five days to come in. Drops of colostrum, which come out first, while they're very protein-rich and excellent nutrition, aren't exactly boluses of glucose. So if a baby is at risk of having low sugars and has them on testing, you might recommend supplemental milk in the form of something like donor human milk or formula in the short term just to help keep baby's glucose levels up. And some mothers might even consider early pumping if they really want to use their own milk to supplement the baby. So number one, if feeding doesn't work and it's not enough to give the baby the glucose boost that they need, And remember, babies, especially when they're newborns, they have really small stomachs, so they might not be able to take higher volumes of milk. So in that case, you can also use something called dextrose gel. We use it in the nurseries where I work. You could also use something called dextrose gel. We use it in the nurseries where I work. Dextrose, you can think of as this form of immediate energy. It's what glucose is called when it's not in the bloodstream, but it's in the food that we eat. So just for fun, (laughs) do you know what lactose is? That is the most common form of sugars babies get because they get it from milk. So it breaks down into glucose and galactose. So if you were saying those two things in your head, you're right. But anyway, back to dextrose. Dextrose gel is an oral medication, and it's around 40% dextrose, dextrose, which is pretty sweet, right? Now back to dextrose. Dextrose gel is an oral medication, and it's around 40% dextrose. Pretty sweet, right? So instead of trying to get the baby to eat it, you can rub it into their buccal mucosa or like right in their inner cheek to give them a hit of sugar, and it goes right into their bloodstream. It's not as long-lasting or as effective as giving an IV dextrose infusion through a PIV, but in the short term, it can really do the trick. Even with dextrose gel, consistent feeding should be counseled on and followed to ensure that the infants get over the hump of this transient hypoglycemia. That's it. Even with consistent feeds and sometimes with dextrose gel administration, and remember to check the protocols in your nursery. Our nursery only allows for three gels. Some infants are going to need IV dextrose, and this can be given as a bolus dosing when the sugars are very low, so in the teens or 20s. I've even had rare cases in which the glucose was so low that the glucometer, or what we use for testing, couldn't even pick up the value. So 
The bolus dose is very effective. We give it its weight-based. It's two milliliters per kilogram of a 10% dextrose solution. Again, we only ride for a bolus if the glucose is very low. So if the baby didn't have very low glucose levels and say they were just borderline sugars that were just under the target needed to protect the brain, we place them on something called a continuous dextrose infusion. And the dosing on this is also weight-based. And typically, even after a bolus, you'd be placed on some sort of continuous dextrose infusion. So typically, we use 10% dextrose and we run the fluids anywhere from 60 to 80 milliliters per kilogram per day. So... A little bit of math, can't escape that with a neonatologist. So if a baby weighs three kilograms, the volume of fluid they would need in a day is anywhere from 180 to 240 milliliters. That's if you want to run your infusion between 60 and 80 milliliters per kilogram per day. Divide that 180 to 240 milliliters by 24 hours and you get a drip that's running anywhere from 7.5 to 10 milliliters an hour. So you can't escape talking to a new anatologist without doing a little math. So when you're running this trip, exactly how much glucose are you giving? So again, in the NICU, we love our calculations. And often we'll calculate something called a glucose infusion rate, or GIR, that you heard me mention earlier. A shortcut for a glucose infusion rate is to take the concentration of glucose or dextrose in the fluid, generally 10%, Multiply that by the rate you are running it, let's say 10 milliliters an hour, like we said earlier, and divide by six times the weight. So that rhymes. It's the glucose times the rate divided by six times the weight. That's your glucose infusion rate. And so for this infant, you would be giving a, a GIR or a glucose infusion rate of roughly 5.6. And a typical starting GIR is around five milligrams per kick per minute. That's the units for your GIR. And so you can escalate the infusion rate based on the glucose levels you check in baby, or you can de-escalate the infusion rate based on the glucose levels that you check on baby. If your GIR starts to get really high, like above 10 milligrams per kilogram per minute, that's getting pretty high. So, you know, we want to allow the babies to continue to eat. So hopefully they're still eat, being able to eat on top of that. So they're even getting some glucose from their milk and we don't calculate anything they get enterally or through their gut as a part of their GIR. But infants with a higher escalating GIR value, those are the infants that should be seen by a pediatric endocrinologist. So they're definitely going to be in the NICU and they might need this subspecialist. As they might have a more congenital form and not a transient form of hyperinsulinemia, requiring more than 72-hour stay, and that's why you want your endocrinology colleague to check in, because that's not the typical neonatal hypoglycemia that you're going to see. To get off the GIR, you usually wean it slowly. And it's helpful, again, when a NICU would have a protocol about this, because at this point, you're in the NICU if you're titrating fluids and weaning fluids. And... You know, generally you need to stabilize the glucose levels in a normal range for a few che checks and then you slowly chip away the glucose infusion rate by one or two milligrams per kilogram per minute until you can turn the fluids off. After that, you usually do two checks off the fluids, maybe a little, maybe one more than that, depends on your protocols, and then no further checks are needed. And usually the infant can be discharged back to the nursery or to room in with the parents if they're still in the hospital and if the birth parents are already discharged. And as a medical student in a busy nursery or NICU, being able to sit with a family and describe why we worry about hypoglycemia because of glucose being used as a fuel for the brain 
can really help families understand the treatment their infant needs. Additionally, providing family with reassurance that this is generally a temporary condition that needs no follow-up and can be helpful. Additionally, providing the family with reassurance that this is generally a temporary condition that really needs no follow-up can just be so helpful in giving families the information they need to get through the anxiety about their infant's health, about maybe their infant being in the NICU. So I feel like trainees can make a really big difference in explaining this to families. So so next time you see someone checking a blood glucose level on your newborn baby that you're caring for, ask them why. Is the baby late preterm, small for gestational age, or large for gestational age? Is it an infant of a diabetic mother? You already know a little bit of their pathophysiology, and now you should know a little bit more about how to treat it. So you can learn from these cases you see and the families you have the privilege of caring for, whether it be in the nursery or the NICU. Thanks for listening to Clerkship Ready Pediatrics. I hope you found today's episode helpful. Don't forget to subscribe below and rate the podcast.